God had answered that prayer and restored my body. And um, I, I remember walking down the steps. Um, they had Lydia's house had the most beautiful stairs, and I was walking down the steps. And, and I remember the house manager freaked out. Why are you not? Why do you not have somebody helping you? You're gonna fall. And I'm like, no. I really believe that God healed me. He touched me last night. He. It was like it just drained from my body, and I'm great. And they couldn't believe it. Um, it took me a few months with my speech to get that back. But um, while I was there at Lydia's house, there were these elderly ladies from a local church. It was called Church on the Hill, um, who came to put scripture on the steps. For I know the plans that I have to prosper you uh, and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That was the first time I had ever heard Jeremiah 29 11. I'd never heard it before. And so that scripture has been the foundational verse of my life. I thought that no one really could love me, but when I really learned about God's love in the Gospel of John and that. He so loved the world and that He gave His only begotten Son for me. There's just something that, that changed in me. And it's titled, Jesus Has Compassion. Jesus Has Compassion. When we get a revelation that the God we serve has compassion, it changes the game of our life. It really changes the trajectory of our life. I um, knew of this testimony before you did, and uh, I, I got to hear it before you did. And earlier in the week, um, part of my morning quiet time and in the midday, I revisit the gospel reading of the day and a psalm. And this past Tuesday, the psalm in my reading was Psalm 107. I know you all have this memorized, but for those of us who do not, I wanted to highlight a few verses out of Psalm chapter 107. And coming right off the testimony you just heard, I want you to see how God is fooled with compassion. All right? Psalm chapter 107, we're going to begin in verse 10. They'll come up on the screen, but, but just let these words rest on your heart. Look at this. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Continues, for he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgressions and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of good, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Listen to this. 
He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. To just think about, I'm sure we'll have it available to view later as well, but I'm sure as you listen to that testimony, there may be a moment that triggered something in your spirit. And I was so triggered in my mind when Rebecca was just sharing in perhaps the most vulnerable moment when she really thought and wanted, if you will, death, that God sent his angels to minister to her. And what did they sing? What did they remind her of? The seeds that had been planted decades before. In kids' church, if you will, or Sunday. That's the goodness of our God. And, and so I, I, I was hearing the testimony, and then, I'll be honest, I mean, sometimes when I'm waking up, man, I'm just reading the psalm of the day. All right, this, speak to me, Lord. This is great. Speak to me, for thy servant is still waking up. That's what it sometimes is in the morning. And so I, I revisited it at lunchtime. You know, it's like it, some of us, it takes a few times. Some of y'all good with a five-minute quiet time. Others of us, whew, we need some time. So anyhow, in the middle of the day, I'm, I'm reading this, and I was just struck again. Verse 20, listen, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God's word over your life. God's word over your life. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Can I give you um, permission today? Just spend time with that verse. Just let that verse get rooted in your spirit. And if you will, (laughs) may it become the filter for your daily life. God is so good and... I want to share, really, I know we've shared several verses out of Psalm 107, but I want to just uh, pivot here to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. You'll, more than likely, you'll be familiar with this one. It's Jesus' response when he saw the multitudes. Matthew chapter 9, 36, it says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. For some reason, that verse, um, as a pastor, it just really became a verse, uh, I, I think it would be arrogant to say that defines my life, but certainly has really helped guide um, my ministry. It's given me grace when in my flesh there was no more grace. <laughs> It's given me generosity when uh, in my spirit I had been generous enough. It had been, it's, it's, it's given me encouragement when I've wanted nothing but self-righteousness to come out my mouth and let people know they need to get it together. <laughs> it has really checked my heart on multiple times and and I think we live in a day and age if I could be honest the Lord uses this in other ways to check our heart you can always test the leader when the multitudes are present that's the test of leadership (laughs) not when they're two people but when they're multitudes that's when you can really understand uh, the heart of a leader the heart in, in many ways of a pastor 
uh, or anyone for that matter, how do they operate when the multitudes are there? And Jesus didn't see a platform. Jesus didn't see a crowd. Jesus saw to their hearts, and he was moved with compassion. I should say out the gate, empathy and compassion are not the same thing. Empathy sees and sits and feels. It's vitally important. It's a very important part of our spiritual life. But compassion not only empathizes, it is moved to do something about it. It's moved to, to do something about it. Because if you, in some ways, the enemy of our soul, he'll, he, can, he can drop seeds of empathy. Well, bummer. I'm sorry. But can I tell you, when someone is addicted to substance, they need your empathy, but they also need compassion. Compassion that moves and does something to help. I believe today is a strategic message for us as a church, for some of you as guests to hear our heartbeat, is that we would be a church, we would be a people moved with compassion. Before I share a few quick thoughts, two words that jump out from this passage, weary and scattered. You may be present today, you're weary <laughs> and a bit scattered. Your soul's a bit chaotic. It's got a lot, of, a lot of things happening. Jesus is moved with compassion towards you. When I think of the word weary, I don't think about parents of young kids. Right? That is one line of thinking. But I think Jesus was speaking to the state of one's soul. It's not just simply tired or exhausted. It was the state of the people before Jesus. There's no other way that, that Matthew records it other than to say they were just weary. They were just worn out. And, and weariness is all shapes and forms. Sometimes it is the weariness of sin in one's life. Come on. Sin promises and never delivers y'all some of you don't know that yet that's okay god's so patient you'll learn but sin no matter how we package it no matter how you can't take poison rip the label off and put honey on the jar and it have the same effect on people right some of y'all know i just stepped into preaching sin is sin and what's funny is we don't need somebody to be like man that stinks. I'm sorry that, you know, you're doing all these sinful acts. Man, I'm sorry it has consequences. I'm sorry. There is no God. What? You haven't heard those conversations? Oh, okay. Well, they're there. But sin, come on, sin has consequences. Sometimes one of the byproducts of a sin cycle is just weariness. We just wiped out. We're just tired. Sometimes it's not a sin thing. Sometimes it's religious obligation. The people that Jesus was speaking to, by the time Jesus showed up, the Pharisees had over 600 little laws for everybody to follow. 
little behavior modification nuggets that they had to abide by in life. They were just stressed out, freaked out in a state of exhaustion. Now add the insult to injury, they're living in their promised land and, and they're under Roman occupancy. Meaning, if a Roman guard walked by, he'd just throw his shields your way and be like, go ahead, carry this for me. Go ahead, take this on. Hey, take this. You're my servant now. And they had to abide. I mean, they were whew, weary, weary of soul. That does something to your soul. They felt in some ways abandoned and forsaken. I know myself at times, if I'm not careful, I can be in a state of weariness. Jesus sees us in that state. And culture around us can be very subtle. We can find ourselves making movement along a certain line of life and never realize the one who brings what our soul desperately needs. Read a story out of Billy Graham. He has um, an autobiography, and uh, in that autobiography, he shares this story. Him and his wife, Ruth, were visiting one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time, and they're visiting him on his Caribbean island. So he says, some years ago now, one of the wealthiest men in the world asked us to come to his lavish home for lunch. He was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. I am the most miserable man in the world, he said. Out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make me happy. And yet, I'm miserable as hell. We talked with him and had prayer with him, trying to point him to Christ, who alone gives lasting meaning to life. Then we walked down the hill to the small cottage where we were staying. That afternoon, the pastor of the local Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman, and he too was 75, a widower. He spent most of his free time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He reminded me of a cricket, Billy Graham said, always jumping up and down, full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and for others. I don't have two pounds to my name, he said with a smile, but I'm the happiest man on this island. Who do you think is the richer man? I asked Ruth after he left. And he writes, we both knew the answer. Sin cycles, life cycles make promises, but leave us weary. I also think of not only weary, but I think of scattered. When I think of the term scattered, I, I, I think of a heart with no home. Think about really a heart with no home, that, that, that we are seeking, we are looking for life, if you will, in all the wrong places. We are looking for something to fill that God-shaped hole within us. And what's so remarkable about Rebecca's story is, is following her journey. 
in a lot of ways, a, a, a tragedy, a car accident, and the difficulties that ensued from there. And then it's oftentimes just like the enemy to begin a, a, a cycle that wasn't even there. And our souls become scattered, become mis, mis, mismanaged, if you will. But here's the thing, we're, we're doing our best. And if we're careful to see, we can see the Lord is actually leading us every step of his gracious and merciful way. But if we would go back into that moment, we can, we can relate that, that, that man, our, 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 our heart just, it just didn't have a home. We're just seeking it in every sorts of arena. We're just going about every which way. And Jesus knew this about the people that he was ministering to. And he was moved with compassion because it says their hearts were scattered. Then he makes this declaration. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know much about shepherding. But I know enough from videos, sheep need a shepherd. Else they don't know what's going on. They can't see around them. They're, part, they're blind. They're, for, they're forefront. They can't see what's ahead of them. And so they just kind of move in different directions. They need a shepherd for their soul. And Jesus comes in the fulfillment of what Psalm 23 says. You know this passage, right? How does Psalm 23 begin? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God steps in with compassion. The moment of need, the moment of desperation. Hear the heart of your heavenly Father today. He is near. And he invites us to partner with the work that he's doing in our lives. Poignant part of Rebecca's story is she's saying how she wanted both. I won't ask for hands, but how many of you know? That's kind of our way sometimes. We want the blessings of God without the obedience. Big amen right there, somebody. Y'all, don't, no deer in headlights. We want the promises of God, but we also like the desires of the flesh. Bum, 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 bum. I just made that song up. You're welcome. Right? <laughs> God, I want everything you have for me, but I also want, bum, 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 bum. you know, whatever that is. Until we fully surrender. God calls for us to walk in obedience. I end few thoughts. Compassion is given to us by God, and it's a compassion, hear this, that calls us home. It calls our hearts to have a home. It calls our hearts to have a home. St. Augustine says this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless. Till when? It rests in you. Our hearts are restless, no doubt about it, until our hearts learn to rest in God. It's a remarkable invitation of God. Bring everything you have and let my mercy wash over you. Let my blood cover all of your sin. Let's deal with the shame. Let's deal with the guilt. Let's deal with the cycles of living that you're having. And let my blood just wash away all of your past. Let me, as Isaiah would say, make you whiter than snow. 
Henry Nouwen, in his book, he wrote a, just a great book, one of my favorite authors. Sorry to drop a couple books on you this morning. Sorry, not sorry. But Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, he writes this, Why do I keep ignoring the place of true love and persist in looking for it elsewhere? Why do I keep leaving home where I'm called the child of God, the beloved of my father? I am constantly surprised at how I keep taking the gifts God has given me, my health, my intellectual and emotional gifts, and keep using them to impress people, receive affirmation and praise, and compete for rewards instead of developing them for the glory of God. I don't know, Henry. What's your problem? That's what I, that's what I mean. But isn't that, I mean, does that, uh, he has a way. I don't know for me. Uh, I resonate with his books because I feel like he's calling me out. Several books. If you have not read The Life of the Beloved, read it. You're welcome. But he's got just these books that talk about the human heart and our, our seeking and our searching and, and our longing, if you will, for the idols and what culture promises but always fails to deliver. The quick high and the long low. Quick high, the quick feel, the quick good, but the long regret, if you will. And Jesus comes along, let my compassion give your heart a home. Compassion, not only that calls us home, but a compassion that calls us away from sin and destruction. You know, Rebecca shared, she had to decide do I want to continue to toe the line one foot in and one foot out? If you've never had that wrestling match in your faith, you might. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to promise anything on you. I don't know. But you might. And one foot in, one foot out. Man, I want, I want, to, be, I want to be in with God, but also, man, I got these, I got these things I just, I just enjoy. They just satisfy. And Jesus says, whoo, whoo, whoo. They satisfy, but they lead to destruction. They lead to death. He steps in every time and brings us the healing, brings us the peace, brings us the life, brings us the mercy, brings us the forgiveness that we have. Never condemning. Notice that about the Holy Spirit. Never condemning us. Hear that loud and clear never shaming us, never guilting us. You remember the woman that was caught in adultery, brought before Jesus. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Listen, we live in a culture that's like, woo, that's my Savior. Neither does he condemn me, baby. Woo. How many times is I going to do that? I don't know. Who knows what could happen by then? There's no condemnation. Don't tell me what to do. Don't, uh, don't tell you what to do. Read the second part. Go and sin no more. Go sin no more. Is Jesus trying to strap him with, with this yoke that is exhausting and frustrating? No. He's giving her the very keys that lead to life. Hey, that's how God works. I see you in your pain. 
I see you. I'm meeting you. My angels are ministering to you. They're, the seeds that were planted decades ago are now reaping a harvest of redemption, freeing Rebecca from the chains of death, chains of addiction. We would all scream loudly if our Savior came along and said, it's all good. Live however you want now. Don't matter. No. He comes alongside of her. He says, look, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to make every right choice. But hey, the overarching theme of your life is go and sin no more. Not so you behave, but so you live. Jesus sets us free from sin, so we live. And y'all may think us pastors are exempt from the flesh. I know that the flesh can feel good. I know that sin, it feels good. I know that the temptations of the enemy are real. But I'm not going to somehow justify it and be like, it's all good. It makes no difference. Live like hell. Woo! No. Jesus did not say. You're not condemned. Live how you want. No, Jesus steps in with the mercy and the hope and the freedom of God and says, come on, let's live a way that leads to life. And we can buck up against the system. Jesus is like, I'll meet you there. Hey, guess what? Forgiveness. Guess what? Paul, I've seen your behavior. My mercies are new every morning. Paul, you know? That's how God works. But let's not, let's, not, let's not play games. Act like sin don't lead to death. That's what our culture's doing. If you haven't noticed, do what you want. We're going to make some good songs about it. You're going to live it up. You're going to like it. It's going to be awesome. And what does it do? It just leaves us shallow. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes, you, sometimes you're in a relationship. You're like, this is the best thing ever. And then sin enters in, and you're just like, well, this is the best thing. And it leads to destruction. Jesus invites us close. He says, no, my daughter, no, my son, I've set you free. And I'm not just empathizing with you. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. No. I'm going to give you the help you need. Lift you up, as David would say, out of the miry clay and set you on a rock. That's why we want to be people that partner, partner with God, partner with God, partner with God, high on mercy, high on the love of God, high on the forgiveness of God, but not confused to what leads to life. And I'm so exhausted with this culture. It's like, it's not really a sin, man. And you're like, no, sin, sin, dude. Sin is sin. And I love you, but it's going to lead to destruction. And I don't necessarily know how to help you, but, but uh, I have a Bible. You may have it. And I have the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you, and you'll have the Holy Spirit. And then my call to action is just obey. You mess up, just get right back. Obey, obey, obey. And what begins to happen? You obey enough. You begin to obey enough. You begin to obey enough. Your trust goes up. Your trust goes up. Your peace goes up. Your peace goes up. Doors open. Doors open. Doors close, doors close, and it's just, we're just weaving in and out of this abundant life that God promises. Some of y'all are saying, I lied. I get it. I said a few minutes. I'm ending now. All right. A compassion that brings us rest. Compassion that brings us rest.
Compassion that brings our heart to a home with God. Compassion that leads us away from sin and death and destruction. And a compassion that brings us rest. Psalm 23, verse 4, some of my favorite words. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. You couples in here, it sounds romantic to say, she restores my soul. He restores my soul. A couple weeks ago, my dad shared how he's Bud Wiser. And... <laughs> He shared to be. This is, this is, you want to hear something romantic. Most romantic and just encouraging words my father ever said to me. Five minutes away from marriage. Great time to drop advice. And Josh, get ready. No, I'm kidding. All right. <laughs> Josh and Rebecca, get ready. No, five minutes before. Paul, you don't have it in you to make the distance in your marriage. To just last on love alone. That filed in things not to say moments before your son gets married. But he said, if you prioritize and obey the word of God in your life and over your life, you have what it takes to make the distance. I believe God would say the same thing over our soul and over our lives. Because we know, right? Rebecca's story, let's just shoot straight. It's all of our story. We know even when we've got it all together and even when we're, 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 as this man, the wealthiest man in the world, he had everything at his fingertips and yet he's, he's flying in, Billy Graham. You got some money, you're just flying in, Billy Graham and his wife. Let's have tea, you know? It's like you got some money. And he was so empty. He was so tired. And his soul had never experienced rest. There's the rest that comes from aligning with the Holy Spirit. There's a rest that comes from staying in step with the Holy Spirit that Paul said. He says, Be, being filled with the Holy Spirit, as Josh was alluding to in the ministry moment, stay under the faucet of God's rule and God's reign. And it brings rest into our life. Because you asked for it, I'll share one more Henry Nouwen quote. As long as I keep running about asking, do you love me? Do you really love me? I give all power to the voices of the world and put myself in bondage because the world is filled with ifs. The world says yes, I love you if you're good-looking, intelligent, and wealthy. I love you if you have a good education, a good job, and good connections. I love you if you produce much, sell much, and buy much. There are endless ifs hidden in the world's love. 
These ifs enslave me, since it is impossible to respond adequately to all of them. The world's love is and always will be conditional, as long as I keep looking for my true self in the world of conditional love. I will remain hooked to the world, trying, failing, and trying again. It is a world that fosters addictions because what it offers cannot satisfy the deepest craving of my heart. Jesus leads to rest. He has a compassion that doesn't call us into chaos. He has a compassion does not call us into confusion or exhaustion. Jesus leads us into rest. Where we, as this book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, would talk about how the Father's embrace clothes us with a new identity, that we are the beloved of God. We are God's beloved. And fourth, the compassion that gives us a future. It's a beautiful, it's the beautiful exchange of God. Compassion that brings us out of our old ways and leads us into a new and living way. Through Jesus, we stand firm on Jeremiah 29, 11, That God has given us and he calls us, he's given us a hope and a future. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for this time around your word, around the living word. Holy Spirit, thank you for sharing with us this incredible story. Thank you, Lord, for Rebecca's testimony and the perfect story that she said, Lord. And we know you are writing in her life. We thank you, God, that you are the chain breaker, God. That you are the one that redeems and makes whole. And as another psalm would say, God, all of our fountains are found in you. Lord, so often we are trying out, testing the things that culture has to offer, but they have no substance to sustain what you have put inside of us, God. May we know how loved we are by you, God. We thank you that your grace and your mercy has covered a multitude of sin. God, we just turn to you again in all of our ways. We love you, God. Listen, just quietly in this moment, between you and God, your head bowed and your eyes closed, If you know that he's calling you home, you don't know all the steps, you don't have all the answers, but something triggered in your life, whether it was a testimony or something that was said in these last few moments, I'm bold enough to say that's the Holy Spirit calling to you. Receive me, Jesus would say. I want to invite you to receive him right here in this moment. You can say these words. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. You could say them out loud. Or you can just say them on the inside. But scripture says you'll be born again. 
There'll be a new way of living, a new way of seeing, a freer way of breathing, that the systems of this world will no longer have a hold over you, and you'll be saved and set free. Say this word with me. God, I need you. I need your saving grace. Forgive me for my sin. I repent of my old ways of living. I give you my past. I trust you in this moment and with my present. And Lord, I entrust you with my future. I call you Lord and Savior. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.